Good morning, everybody. I appreciate Robert's shout out there with the four chairs. That's, uh, that's pretty awesome. He showed me that picture, and I thought that was pretty cool that uh, that kind of message has kind of made it a few thousand miles away. So uh, my name's Tony Harden. If you don't know me, I'm the discipleship pastor here at the church. And I'd like to start out with just a word of prayer today. Bow our heads. Our, our Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for being in the room with us today. Uh, we know that you're here and we welcome you. And today is all about you. It's not about me. It's not about us. It's about worship and praising you, not just for the things that you've done for us, but for just who you are. God, we love you. It's in Christ's name we pray. You know, as we get started today, uh, Dan kind of did a, an introduction for this uh, sermon series that we're calling Monday's Coming. And so as, as he was saying, as Raph explained last week, you know, we have this, this phrase in preparing for Sunday. We always say Sunday's always coming. And and so for ministers and for church leaders, and, you know, it's a way for us to, to just remind ourselves that, hey, we need to be intentional about preparing for what's coming up, because Sunday's a big day, right? And so Sunday's coming is for us, but Monday's coming is for you. Because so many times we come to this church, we come to churches, we go to different places, and on Sunday we're kind of a a little bit of a different person than we are during the week. And then when Monday comes, we kind of slide right back into kind of our old ways. And so to say Monday's coming is a reminder for you uh, that Monday's coming and that we need to take our faith, this faith that we have on Sunday, we need to spread that in the world by taking it, taking it with us wherever we go on Monday. We have to be intentional about our time. You know, Dave Ramsey with Financial Peace University says, if you don't tell your money where to go, it'll find its own way. And so I think that's true. I've lived that in my life, but I think it's true with your calendar too. If you don't, or if you're not intentional about filling your calendar with the things that we need to, uh, then your calendar's going to fill up with other stuff. And so whether it's, uh, it's filling your calendar with, uh, with times for like study, Maybe quiet times uh, with the Lord. I know I've been enjoying some front porch time with my Bible and my dog every morning. But, you know, you have to be intentional about scheduling that or something else is going to fill up that spot. I mean, that's just the way life is. And so I think one thing we really need to think about doing is scheduling just meaningful time to spend with other Christians during our week. I think we need to be intentional about it, and so that's why today I'm going to be talking about community. We're going to be talking about community in our daily lives. And so, you know, when I was thinking about community, when I was thinking about this word, that, that means coming together. Uh, I was thinking about my childhood. I had a pretty happy childhood. Um, I had a lot of family. My mother had 13 brothers and sisters. My dad had 10 brothers and sisters, and so I always joke around that there's cousins I haven't met yet. And that's probably true. But, I mean, we really, we came together all the time. I mean, we had reunions and get-togethers. I used to joke with my mom, with her family. It's like, you know, reunions would be a little bit more meaningful if we kind of stay apart for a little while. But, you know, we, we always, we came together. I remember weekends at my house. The family was always there. And so we had this community. And one thing that I, that I realized when I was thinking about this is, is the times when my family got together... When my family got along uh, the best is when we were spending a lot of time together. And so it's like when we weren't, that's when kind of the troubles would kind of come around. So we needed community. 
We needed it as a family. And folks, I think Christians need community too. I think that's God's plan for us. You know, this whole idea of community, this togetherness started, I think, with the beginning of man. If you look at the Genesis story, you look at the first chapter of the book of Genesis, it says, God created the earth, and he saw that it was good. And then God created light, and he saw that it was good. Then he created the birds of the air and the fish of the sea, then he created the creatures that would roam around on the land and the plant life, the seed-bearing plant life that would feed them, and he saw that it was good. And then he created man, and he put him in the garden, and he gave him dominion over all other creation. Man was, was it's how, God, how man was intended to be back then. And so God, man is in the garden, and God looked at man, and he said it was very good. But you know, God said one thing wasn't good. If you look at the book of Genesis, the first chapter, verse 18, it says, Then the Lord said it was not good that man was alone. And so see, this idea of being together uh, is God's plan for us. We were never meant to be alone. We were never meant to go on our own, live on our own. And Christians are built to live in relational community. And that's God's plan. It was His plan from the very beginning. And you know, I think Jesus in his life, I've been studying the life of Christ for about the last three and a half years. And if you would like to join me in that, I've started these classes called Live 2-6. I would love to include you in that. We're going to start one fairly soon. We're about to finish one. It's gone on for about a year. If you, want to, if you just want to study the man, the human of Jesus, because he was God and man, but if you want to look at his humanity as a model for us to live, I'd love to include you in that. So keep your ear out for that. So Jesus uh, modeled this relational community for us. He, he did. I think his life shows us that. I want to share with you six foundational priorities that Jesus had in his life. Six foundational priorities. And, and the first one is, is that um, Jesus had a total dependence on the Holy Spirit. There, there's no doubt about that in my mind when I study that. See, Jesus was conceived... By the Holy Spirit, he was baptized into the Holy Spirit. He was thrust into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit. He, he, he healed people. He created miracles by the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus raised the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit. He himself was resurrected by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so if you look at Jesus' life, it is very plain to me that he was totally dependent on the Holy Spirit. And guess what, folks? He calls us to be the same. So he had a total dependence on the Holy Spirit. A second foundational priority is he lived a life of prayerful guidance. Jesus prayed a lot. The New Testament records that he slipped away more than 33 times to pray. And sometimes he prayed all night. He prayed for hours. His ministry began in prayer. His life on the cross ended in prayer. And prayer was just central to everything that he did. Before every crisis, before every decision, before anything that happened, Jesus went away to pray. Jesus lived a life of prayerful guidance. And you know, one thing that you'll notice if you study his life, the busier he got, the more he prayed. And he calls on us to do the same. Another priority that he had was the fact that he learned 
obedience. That's a little bit hard for us to understand, but Jesus learned obedience. In Hebrews, the author said, Though he was God's son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. Jesus learned obedience, and there's no doubt that he was obedient to God's will. He followed God's plan, not his own. There were times when I think Jesus didn't know what his next move was, but through prayer and talking to the Father, he knew. He judged based on God's laws, not on his, and not on his own interpretation of it like the Pharisees did. He judged on God's laws. He rested in God's pleasure because he obeyed him. Jesus was obedient all throughout his life. All through his life to the cross, even death on the cross, Jesus lived a life of obedience to the Father. Another foundational priority that he had was the fact that he trusted Scripture. He trusted, studied, learned, and submitted his life to Scripture. He learned Scripture. John says that he grew in stature and in wisdom. Just like we have to learn, Jesus learned in his humanity. And Jesus knew his Scripture. We know that. He quoted from Scripture over 80 times from more than 70 different verses of the, of the Old Testament. He used Scripture to respond to Satan's temptations. He used Scripture to debunk the Pharisees. He did. He, he used Scripture every step of the way. He, he used it to justify everything. He fully submitted to God's Word. Full submission to God's Word. Another foundational priority I want to share with you is that he exalted the Father in everything that he did. Now, what does that mean? You know, exalted is a heavy word, right? You know, you, you could say that he worshipped the Father, but I want to be careful about that because sometimes when we think of worship, we just think about singing. But, but worship means in every aspect of his life, he gave God credit. He gave God credit for everything. You'll never find in Scripture Jesus taking credit for anything that he did. He always exalted the Father and gave him credit for everything. And here's the priority that I wanted to get to uh, to talk about today, is that Jesus lived a life of intentional, loving relationships. If you study the life of Christ, you're going to see that Jesus was relational. His whole ministry was relational. You know, Robert brought the four chairs. I, I was, he brought those up. I wasn't really expecting him to do that, but I've got four chairs back here today. And the reason I want to use this, is this just a real simple example to show you what our journey looks like. It's also a very simple uh, just illustration that shows how Jesus was relational. You know, Jesus at the beginning of his ministry, uh, when a couple of guys were curious about him and they asked him a question, Jesus issued a challenge to them. He issued four challenges during his, uh, his ministry, but the first one was, was simply, come and you'll see. Pretty low-level challenge, didn't require a whole lot of the guys, but just come and see. And so these two guys that he made this challenge to, they did. And they spent some time with him. And apparently some pretty good time. Because when they, when they got through with the conversation, the Bible doesn't tell us what they said, but when they got through with the conversation, they became believers. They accepted who Christ was. Then Jesus issued the second challenge to, to now four of, of his followers. And he said it was pretty, still a pretty low-level challenge, but he said, follow me. Just follow me. Follow me means to get in behind, means to walk in the tracks of, as it's translated through the Greek. And so he just issued, just said, follow me. 
And they did. And several years later, two years later into his ministry, he issues this high-level command. You know, when Jesus said, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. Now this required something of these guys. It required everything. Because it would require them to drop everything they were doing, to walk away from their nets, to walk away from their livelihood. Even some people think to walk away from their family. And you know, the important thing to know is, is that this happened two years into Jesus' ministry. It didn't happen right off the bat. I think if Jesus would have made that high-level challenge to these guys right off the bat, I'm not sure they would have done it. Because Jesus spent two years pouring into the lives of people that would follow him. He spent time with them. He nurtured this relationship. See, Jesus had a deep relationship with these five guys that he made this challenge to. And so it's important to note that Jesus was all about relationships. And so when, before he ascended, he made this high-level challenge to all of us. He said, now go and bear much fruit. And so over the course of his life, you know, he developed these guys, he developed these people, and they became his friends. And it took time. It took three and a half years for Jesus to develop this. And these guys that we're talking about would go on to birth the church that you and I are a part of right now. So Jesus was all about relationships. See, I think Jesus had a small group. I really believe he did. He had these 12 apostles. He had a lot of disciples, but he had 12 apostles that were the leaders that he appointed. And so Jesus had this small group. His challenges were to this small group. He didn't make these challenges to the masses. He made these challenges to the people in his circle, into his community. And so these guys, when they went out and they did things on their own, they didn't do things on their own. Even when he sent them out, he sent them out two by two. And so Jesus didn't call them to be lone wolves. He, he called them to his purpose in a community. So they were all a part of his team. He lived with these guys. He ate with these guys. He slept under the same roof. He traveled with them. He spent time with his group. And he made it a priority to spend time with the people in his community, with the few in his community. Seventeen times Jesus spent with the masses, but over 46 times he spent with his disciples, with his small group. And these guys, again, they would eventually go out and birth this church that we all know today. It's billions strong. If you want people get hung up on Jesus' miracles, that's the miracle that the church is what it is right now because of what he did with these 12 guys. And see that church I'm talking about? That's the church that God calls to live in community with one another. And that's all us. Luke has a description about the first church, I think, as Jesus intended it to be. It's, it's some of my favorite verses. It's in Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. And it says this, "...and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching." to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to the prayers. And all the believers were together and held all things in common. They sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all who had a need. Every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple complex and broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with a joyful and humble attitude, praising God and having favor with all people. And every day... The Lord added to their numbers. I just kind of get emotional when I, when I read that. I think those are some of the most powerful verses in, in the New Testament. 
And I want to break it down a little bit for you. Let's think about how that first church reacted. First of all, this is the first church. This was, it started out with 3,000 people that were baptized in one day. Can you imagine that? 3,000 people in one day. And then, and, then, and then the author goes on to explain how they were living, how they reacted. The first thing it says is that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They were showing a very important attribute here. They were teachable. Have you ever known somebody that just wasn't teachable? Do you have much patience with somebody like that? I had a dog once. You couldn't teach anything. He's a dog. He had an excuse, right? But, I mean, as people, we need to be teachable. We need to submit to the leadership of the church. And it goes on to say they devoted themselves to fellowship. Here's another important attribute. They were faithful. They were faithful. They, they were determined to live a life that God was calling them to live. And it also said they were together. Another important attribute, one we struggle with today, they were available. You can be teachable and you can be faithful, but if you're not there, it doesn't make a whole lot of difference. They were available. They were together a lot. Not just on what the Jews called the Shabbat or the Sabbath. They were together every day. And see, they had proximity. See, I'm convinced proximity is a big problem. It was probably a problem back then, and I know it's a problem now. I think I've told this story before, but I used to be in charge of, of two studios of designers. I had Studio A and Studio B, and in the way their office was laid out, they were on one corner of the building, the other one was on the other. And I was in charge of these guys, and I, and I, had, to, I had to do performance evaluations every year. And I remember one specific morning, I was, I was reviewing a guy from Studio A, and, uh, and I, I always gave those guys the chance to, to offer comments when we're done. And, and so this one particular person said, you know, I just want to be honest with you. I've talked to the, the other people in our studio, and we think that you play favorites with the other studio. And I said, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd never, I don't, I've never realized that, but I'll take that into consideration. And, and so I was kind of a little bit confused by it. But then that afternoon, I was reviewing someone from Studio B. And I gave them their chance to talk. And they said, you know, we were all kind of at lunch one day, and, and we just want to tell you that we think you play favorites with the other studio. And so I had two studios, two groups of people thinking the same thing, and so it kind of blew my mind. How, how does that work? And then what I realized was it was the space between them. It was the conference room and the workroom that was between them. It's just it, it, this, this, and it wasn't more than 30 feet, but it created this kind of us and them. So proximity is our issue. I think about that with, with, with race relations. You know, it's like when more we come together, the more we're going to know, one, we're all messed up people, but the more we're going to understand each other's point of view. And the more we're going to understand how to love one another. So we have to be together. We have to come together. I love that they were together. It says they were generous. Can you imagine if every church in Woodford County was populated with as many people as could, could fit in the rooms and everybody was devoted to living this kind of life together, we wouldn't need any government assistance. We wouldn't need, nobody would have need. It says that they sold their possessions. They sold their possessions so nobody had a need. I can't imagine, that's what God intends for us to do. And, and to do that, we need to come together. 
says they devoted themselves to worship together. They went to church together and they gave their worship to God. It says every day. And notice it doesn't say they went to church so they could get something out of it. They went to church so they could get fed. No, they went to church so they could give. They went to church so that they could worship God. You see, it's not really about you and me. It's not really. I get frustrated when somebody says, well, I didn't get anything out of that today. It's like, well, it's not about you. It's not about you. It's about giving praise and worship to God. That's why we're here. Amen? It says they ate together. It says they went from house to house and broke bread together. They didn't show up on Wednesday night for a potluck and bring a covered dish. No. It was like living daily. Every day they just lived together and they ate from house to house. They, they were living a genuine life together. You know, we cel- I think they were celebrating Christ. You know, we celebrate with a meal, right? I mean, this Thursday, I have to throw this in here. This Thursday, my son is graduating from the Lexington Fayette County Police Academy. We got another one over here in Stephen Andrews that's doing the same. And so, yeah, thank you. So we're already planning a big meal because that's how we celebrate. And so I think when these, when these people in this first church were getting together, they were celebrating Christ, and they did it on a daily basis through one of the most basic things that we do every day. It also says they were joyful and they were humble. You know, and what I think that means to me is that they were thankful. They were giving thanks to Christ because of, the, because of this life-changing event that they had through, through being introduced to Christ. And, and so they were, just, they were just thankful for all the blessings that they were given. And it says they had favor with all people. Favor with all people. And I, I, I tried to think about this from the context of the first century. And so there were a lot of things that divided people in the first century. You know, you had Jews, you had Gentiles, you had Romans, you had you know, Samaritans. You had all these different reasons why people were split up and separated from one another. But then here you have this group of people. It's more than 3,000 people, and it was growing daily that were caring for one another, taking care of one another, worshiping and praising God. People from the outside in noticed it. They noticed it. They saw what was going on with this group, and it was counter-cultural. And they wanted it. And so they had favor with all people, not just people in the group, with all people they had favor with. And then it says their numbers grew daily. Their numbers grew daily. And what I think that means is that, that people were coming to Christ. They weren't an inwardly focused church. They didn't close the doors and just kind of turn around and just concentrate on their own studies and all this other stuff. They were looking out of the church. They, they were an outwardly focused church. And those people that, that saw what was going on and wanted it, they welcomed them in. And their numbers grew daily. And folks, if we live like that, I guarantee you it's God's plan that His kingdom is going to grow. See, I think these people that were looking from the outside in, they were longing to be a part of a community. They were longing to be a part of this community. And, and, and people came to Christ in a big way. They came to Christ in a huge way. And folks, left to ourselves, that ain't going to happen. We need to be living in community with one another. 
And so I want to tell you a couple of practical ways that you can be a part of this community here at Journey Church. Our mission is to move people on a simple journey toward Jesus. And so to do that, we need to be connected together. We need to be living life in community. There's a few ways that we do that. We have Sunday morning Bible study. We have adult Bible fellowship that goes on during first and second service. There's a couple of classes that are going on now. There'll be a couple of classes that are going on during second service. This is a great way to go into a small group of people and to learn names and to get to know people. You know, this crowd is wonderful, but we can't really get to know each other all that well uh, just by sitting here listening to one person. But through our adult Bible fellowship classes, we can learn and we can get to know and we can meet people. That's one way. Um, we have uh, our Sunday morning service, obviously. I mean, we're all here. We have the children that are going on in the back, both services. You know, we've got all-age kids in the back. Our high school and middle schoolers, they meet tonight. And so we have the Sunday service. This is a great way to be a part of this community. But, you know, by and large, I think one of the more effective things that we do that can create community is our journey groups. We have groups of 8 to 12 people, and they meet on a weekly basis mainly. And uh, they meet for study. They meet for meals. And quite frankly, they meet to pray with each other. They meet to have fun. Really, basically, we're just trying to, trying to create a situation where we can come together as Christians besides Sunday and live life together. And so we want it to model that. We want to model that Acts 2 church through our journey groups. Now, I think that's what God intends us to do. Now, if you're not in a journey group, I think you're missing out in a big way. I've been a part of a group, uh, well, for years. My wife and I, we've led a group, I don't know, 10 years, 13 years, whatever. We've never not been in a group. And so it, it's, it's a really neat thing, it's, and it takes, it takes some intentionality to, to make time for it, but it, it is, it's a good thing. And so if you want to be a part of it, I would almost beg you, I'm not beyond that, I'm not proud, I would almost beg you to be a part of a journey group. And if you're interested in, in signing up for one, if you're interested in it, I'm going to be up under, under the sign on the rock wall after the service. I'm going to have a sheet where I can take your information. And I want to challenge you to think about that. Just because you write your name down doesn't mean you're committed to a certain group. We'll work on getting you into a group. We also want to try to launch some groups. So if you feel God calling you to do something different, maybe something more, maybe you should lead a group. And so I want to challenge you, meet me under the sign after the service. I would love to take your name and help you take that next step in entering into, enter in into community uh, with us here at Journey Church. In Hebrews chapter 10, it says, And let us be concerned about one another in order to promote love and good works, not staying away from our worship meetings as some habitually do, but encouraging each other and all the more as you see the day drawing near. The author is encouraging us to live life together. I want to, I want to go over a few obstacles that might keep you from living in this community that God's calling us to do. The first one, I think, is, is a pretty big one. It's fear. I think fear can be an obstacle for us. We don't want to admit we're afraid of anything, but it might sound like this. I don't want people knowing about my messes. I don't want them staring at the skeletons in my closet. You know, I just don't need that in my life. What, what are people going to think about me when they realize how messed up I am? Well, let me tell you something. We've been in groups for years. We always start out groups by just bearing our souls. And by telling everybody about all of our warts and all of our stupidity. 
And, and you know, what you're going to understand when you do that is everybody else is just as messed up as you. And that, you know, when we've done that in the past, it's almost like a weight gets lifted off of you. And you can really start to relate and live life together once you get past that. Once you realize that it's not about people just trying to judge you for who you are. Also, another, another thing I think that can get in our way, and this is probably more prevalent in our society, is good things. There are plenty of good things that can get in your way of living life in community with one another. You know, maybe it's hobbies. You know, I, you know I'll, I'll tell this, I'm not judging anybody by saying this, but when we raised our son, uh, we, we, we just kind of developed this rule. His faith life was going to be the priority when we raised him. And so we told him we wanted him growing up in this church. And so we, we told him when it came to sports, we said you can play one sport at a time, but if it interferes with church, you're just going to have to work around that. You know, maybe if they practice on Sunday night, you're not going to get the start. Or maybe they were meeting on Wednesdays at one point, and it says if it interferes with that, maybe it's not the right thing for you to do. And you know, I got called a prude. I got criticized. But I'm going to tell you right now, I don't regret it for a minute. You know, when I look at who my son has became, you know, a lot of kids, when they leave your home, you know, they kind of they have your faith and they leave it behind. But I'm convinced my son took his faith with him when he left home. So I don't regret it for a minute. You know, I have a friend of mine who talks about pruning. And uh, that he, every year, he's a very busy guy. He's got like two worldwide ministries. He leads five or six trips to Israel every year. And so he, I don't know how he does it. But he, he told me that every year in January, he sets down with his schedule and his to-do list. And he decides, okay, what's got to go? What has to go? Because I can't do everything, and so I have to do the most important thing. And so he decides to, to cut out some good things so that he can focus on the best. And so that's a painful thing to think about, but I think that's something we uh, should talk about and think about doing as well. And pruning shouldn't be, you know, like a, it shouldn't be, it look like, you know, you're a kid who's got scold who hadn't cleaned his room and stomps off to do it because he has to. Pruning is something I hope that when we walk on our journey and we get closer to Christ, there's things we, we, we're going to want to do it. Not because we have to. And the last obstacle I want to share with you is contentment. And boy, I can relate to this one. Contentment. Uh, I might say, you know, I like my solitude. You know, I, I'm happy going it alone. I don't need any help. You know, I don't want anybody, you know, messing around in my business anyway I got this and you know if that's you I understand like I said that's me that's me sometimes I can feel that way in my own selfishness but you know what I real what I've realized as I've grown on my walk is that that's not God's plan it's not his plan at all and you know the one thing that I <laughs> a big thing that I've learned is nothing ever good really happens from messing with God's design and so he calls us to live this life of community together. It's the way he's designed us. And, you know, I, I, I hope that maybe some of those things maybe have convicted you. I hope that none of it's offended anybody. Um, but I just felt called to talk to you about that today. We, we live in a society, uh, man, that keeps us so busy. I think that's the, that's the devil's main tool in our age right now, is that he keeps us so busy we can't do the things that I think he calls us to do, even things that, that we want to do. So I know some people that feel like they have no control over it. 
But folks, it just takes, it just takes basically setting your priorities and just deciding that this is what our family's going to do. And so in wrapping up today, um, I told you our, our, our mission here at the church is to move people on a simple journey toward Jesus. And we, we want to do that because we've, we want to love God, we want to love people, and we want to make disciples that make disciples. We just want to be engaged in God's mission. You know, and we believe that, that we should be living in relational community. And the reason we believe that is because Jesus did. We just want to follow his example. God didn't intend us to walk in this journey alone. I'm convinced of that. If many of you know me, you probably know one of my favorite verses is 1 John 2, 6. Those that, that claim to abide in him ought to walk as Jesus walked. And folks, the more I've learned about him, the more I've learned about Jesus and his life, the, the three and a half years of ministry that are so powerful, that model that he shows us, what I've learned is that Jesus uh, walked with people in a deep relationship, in deep community. And he calls us to do the same. You know, we're getting ready to, uh, to go into our time of communion. And so we're going to share in the Lord's Supper here in just a second. And so if you're here today and, and, and you're not living that life of community with other Christians, this is a perfect time. You know, that we're going to break bread together just like the first church did. And we're going to take these simple emblems. You put these on a counter, they're nothing. They're a cracker and a, and a cup of juice. But, you know, when you take them uh, in remembrance of Christ, and we take that to kind of examine ourselves, it becomes the most powerful thing we can ever think of. And so this is a perfect time to examine where your life is in living in community with other Christians. If, if you're here and you haven't accepted Christ, you don't feel bad about just letting those those trays pass by, but I've got a message for you. You don't have to live this way anymore. You know, if you have not accepted Christ, today is the day. I mean, there is no reason to wait. If, if It's the beginning of your journey when you do that. And, there, and, and so it's not the end, it's not the end game, but, but it's the first step. You know, they say that a marathon, the hardest part is the first step. It's harder than the last mile. And so, but I'm going to be up here. The way this is going to work, we're going to have this communion together in this quiet time. And then, then the band's going to be up here in a little bit, and they're going to be uh, playing a song. And I'm going to stand up here uh, during that last song. And so I want to invite you to come up. If, if you just want prayer, I don't care what you, what, what you have to pray about. If you want to come up and pray, I'd love to pray with you. If, if, if you're here, you haven't accepted Christ, I'd love to pray you through that as well. And so, you know, some people say that, ah, that, that's too embarrassing to ask somebody to come up. Well, I'll be embarrassed for you. Don't worry about that. But just come on up. Just come on up. So if you would, let's, uh, let's pray for our supper today. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your blessings. We thank you for this meal that you've provided that we're about to share. And God, I pray a special blessing on everyone that would take it. And it's in your son's holy name that I offer these prayers. Amen.